Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity as a community for us to gather together and worship you, to hear from you, interact with you. Father, I pray that you uh, move upon us today, that you speak uh, into our hearts and our lives, that you use me for your glory. Father, I pray that uh, you anoint me with your message this morning and that nothing of my, my life or myself will be used except that which you've anointed for your purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says... Amen. Uh, today we are in Parsha B'Shalach from Exodus 13, 17 through 17, 16. Uh, Parsha B'Shalach is, uh, in essence, kind of the, the ending, if you would, of the great exodus of Israel as we come out of Egypt and begin our journey toward the promised land. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Exodus 13, beginning with verse 17, the very beginning of the Parsha. It says, after Pharaoh... Uh, had let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although uh, that was nearby, for God said the people might change their minds if they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Sea of Reeds. Bnei Israel went up out of the land of Egypt armed. So right out the gate, I'm going to stop there, uh, and, and I just want to, to point this out. We know that as Israel left Egypt uh, the very end of the plagues that it specifically says, the Torah says that Israel left with the wealth and riches of Egypt, that they left with everything that they needed, gold, silver, and so on. But it's interesting here that Israel also apparently left with Egypt's armory. They left with Egypt's weapons. Uh, and as they left, in essence, the only thing that was left for Egypt were their chariots. Um, and so Israel is, the, the Lord says, I don't want Israel to go towards the Pilashim, the Philistines, because if they do, they'll be afraid of war and they'll turn back around and go right back again. Uh, but we know throughout the wilderness journey, kind of Israel's threat was always, well, can we just go back to Egypt? Because it was better there. So did it really matter if they went through war or not? They were going to have the same uh, re response towards God. And interestingly enough, as we read this partial, we realize uh, that Israel still ends up facing war, right? I mean, they don't actually go to battle. The Lord protects them, but Egypt comes crashing down on them, and war was, was knocking at their back door. So as we move forward, it says, Moses also took the bones of Joseph with him, for, the, uh, for he had made it, B'nai Israel swear an oath, saying, God will surely remember you, and then you are to carry my bones away for, uh, with you. So they journeyed from Sukkot and encamped at Etham uh, on the edge of the wilderness. Adonai went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and led, them, uh, led the way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. So they could travel both by uh, day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night never departed from the people. This pillar is, uh, is representational and it's literal too of the presence of God. We know it's the same thing we see on the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the wilderness once it's made. This is the Shekinah, the divine glory of God that is leading Israel uh, on this journey. And it says that their entire journey, the presence of God never left or departed from the people of Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 14 goes on to say, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to B'nai Israel so that they turn back. And it camped camp before uh, Pihah, he wrote, between Migdol and the sea. You were to camp by the sea opposite Baal Zephon. 
Pharaoh will say concerning B'nai Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will follow after them. Then I will be glorified after Pharaoh along with all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. So they did so. Now with the last plague, he said, I'm going to glorify myself before Pharaoh through this plague. And then here again, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart one last time. And I'm going to glorify myself because of Pharaoh and the Egyptian forces as a whole. And we know as we read through the rest of the Parsha, the, the waters of the Amsuf part, Israel crosses through. Egypt tries to chase in. The Lord allows the ground to get muddy. It was dry beforehand. It gets muddy. The wheels of their chariots and their feet get stuck in the mud. And as Israel steps off the shore on the other side, uh, the, the actual waters crash down on Pharaoh and on the Egyptian forces, the chariots, and all of Egypt's army is destroyed and Pharaoh dies as well. And so we see that the Lord is in fact going to provide an ultimate presentation of his might, his power, and his glory to the nation of Israel and ultimately to the nations as a whole through this event. But it's really interesting as we move through this and we see uh, the way all of this played out and exactly what the Lord had in store. And so keep in mind, Israel again had the weapons of Egypt. They had all the tools necessary for warfare. They were already prepared by God in advance for the, the potentiality of war. In fact, it goes on, verse 6, to say, so talking about Pharaoh, so he prepared his chariots and took his people with him. He took 600 of the finest chariots along with all the chariots, all the other chariots of Egypt and captains over them. doesn't say he took any weapons. He took chariots and he took people and he went to war uh, uh, or went on the war path. Verse 10 continues. When Pharaoh drew near, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So they were terrified, and B'nai Israel cried out to Adonai. They said to Moses, Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were not enough graves in Egypt? Why have you dealt this way with us to bring us out of Egypt? Did we not say to you in Egypt, Let us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. It's really interesting that Egypt just saw the, I'm sorry, Israel just saw the miracles and the might and wonder of God. Uh, in the plagues in Egypt. And when they're looking at the sea in front of them, and they're looking at the armies of Egypt crashing down upon them, all they can think about is, why in the world did you bring me out here to die? Not, hey, you know what? That God that you keep talking about, Moses, he did some really awesome things back in Egypt. Can you uh, talk to him about maybe pulling a few hats out of his trick here too? Uh, tricks out of his hat here too? Be really awesome if you know we could get out of this alive uh, since he brought us out here. And instead they grumble, they complain, they whine. And verse 13, Moses goes on and says, But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of Adonai which he will perform for you today. You have seen the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again. Adonai will fight for you while you hold your peace. Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the Yeshua, the salvation of Adonai. The Lord will provide for you or perform for you today. Moses hears the grumbling of Israel and he recognizes, you know what? We just got to wait on God. God's got something in plan. We've just got to wait on him. And so he tells them, listen, just shut up. Stop grumbling. Sit back. A lot of times that's our prayer life. The Lord's saying, just shut up. You keep talking and you won't listen. You say, I can't, you can't hear my voice, but it's because you won't shut up long enough to hear me. And this is what, the, what Moses is in essence saying to Israel is just shut up. If you stop worrying about what you don't see 
and just rely on what you are going to see and what you have seen, maybe things will be different. Just shut up. Be silent. Be still. Do not be afraid. Chazach, chazach. Be uh, courageous and see the salvation, the Yeshua of Adonai, which he will perform for you today. And then we go on to verse 15. Then Adonai said to Moses, so Egypt, uh, Moses, uh, the Israelis, the Israelites cry out to Moses. Moses uh, speaks to Israel, and then God speaks to Moses to speak to Israel. Then Adonai said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Now Moses wasn't, right? Israel was, but Moses is their shepherd. He's their leader. So he's going to the, the head of the prophet. He says, why are you crying to me? Tell B'nai Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Then B'nai Israel will go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Then I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will go in after them so that I will be glorified over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I have been glorified over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen." Then the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. Also the pillar of cloud moved from in front and stood behind them. And so came between the, the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, uh, the cloud and the darkness over here, yet it gave light by night over there. Neither one came near the other all night long. 600,000 men of fighting age in the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. 600,000 fighting men. So that means somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million total Israelites that leave Egypt. Plus, the Torah tells us there was a great mixed multitude that left with them. Some numbers, uh, some, some historians and theologians figure that the numbers are somewhere between 3 and 5 million total people between the, the actual blood descendants of Abraham and the nations that came with them. Somewhere between three and five million total people. And every single one of these people had to be led through the Yamsuf on dry ground where once water stood, they walked through on dry ground and they had to get to the other side before the Lord allowed Egypt to cross in. And so it says that the cloud, the presence of the Lord stood between the two uh, nations and that it gave darkness, nothing but darkness to Egypt and nothing but light to Israel for the entire night so that Israel could cross. And it says in the entire night, neither party came into contact with one another. I think it's really interesting as we look at this in verse 15. Uh, Adonai says, why are you crying out to me? Tell B'nai Israel to go forward. Tell B'nai Israel to move. You guys have everything you need already. You have the weapons. If you wanted to, you could turn around and fight. You have the weapons. You already have seen the magnitude of my glory, my power, and my might. You have everything that you need to be able to walk faithfully in the direction I'm taking you. The Lord says, you don't need anything else. You don't need to ask for anything else. Just go forward. As a matter of fact, the song of Moses, where we get the micha mocha from in Exodus 15, the song of Moses, uh, tradition tells us, the sages say that the way that this all played out, and again, this is just tradition, but the, the way this all played out is that as Israel came up to the Yom Sof, the Lord said, just begin to walk. And he does. He says here, why are you crying out at me? Just go forward. And so Israel begins to walk in faithfulness into the water. And the water is still there. And they're, they're walking out. And as they're walking out of the water, they're proclaiming, who is like you, Adonai? And they keep saying this over and over again. And they walk out to the waters at their, their ankles. And it still hasn't moved, but they're still moving forward. And they're still singing. And they walk out in the waters at their knees. And they're still singing, but the water's not moving. And they walk out in the waters at their hips. 
They're still singing, but the water's not moving. And they continue to walk out until ultimately the water's at their neck and their heads are tipped back to breathe. And they're still proclaiming, Who is like you, O God? And they keep walking out. They keep walking out. The water is just about to crest their mouth and their nose where they can no longer breathe. And they're still proclaiming, And the waters part forth and they dry up and the ground dries up and they walk through on dry ground. Now, I say all of that to say this. It's not necessarily how I think it played out because I don't see that necessarily in the scripture. But it's really interesting that that is kind of the mentality I see God telling us here. He's not saying, look, just wait around for me to do something. He says, I've already prepared the way. You don't need to wait for me to do anything because I've already done it. You're here because I made it possible for you to get here. I've already prepared the way and planned out your footsteps. I've already made the way and all you got to do is walk forth. Get up and go. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop worrying. Stop doing the math. Look, this could go wrong or that could go wrong or what's going to happen here and just go forth. Moses tells Israel, stand still, shut up, and watch for God's salvation. And Adonai says, no, my salvation's already here. Move. Get up and walk. Get up and go. And I think this is a really powerful message for us to grasp and to understand because a lot of times as believers, especially when the Lord calls us to do something, look, Danielle and I, you've heard this before, some of you, Danielle and I, when we moved to New York, God called us to New York, we had nothing. We were paying tolls on the New Jersey Turnpike cracking open rolls of quarters on the way up. Uh, I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have anything. We had an apartment set up at the college we were going to be at. We had no way to pay for it. We didn't know what was going to happen. I had sent a bunch of resumes out. Who sends resumes for restaurant jobs? But I had a bunch of resumes out to restaurants in the area. Uh, I had interviews set up, but I didn't have a job. We didn't have anything. We moved up there. We moved into our apartment on Wednesday, and on Friday morning, I had a job. The Lord provided me that quick. We just went with it and did what the Lord uh, called us to do. We had no clue how it was going to pan out, what was going to happen. Still to this day, I can't tell you how in the world we survived for five years in New York, except by the grace and mercy of God. But I know that God called us there, and he paved the way when we left New York because we didn't have anything going there. We sure as heck didn't build anything while we were there. We were college students. And when we left to come down to Georgia at the behest of God, we had nothing, and we left with nothing, and we made the journey following what the Lord said. And he provided along the way, and everything came as it should, and the Lord provided and, and made sure that we were where we... But it took us just being willing to step out. Abraham, the Lord calls out and says, get up and go from your people. You just had to get up and leave. It wasn't asking questions or asking, okay, well, well Lord, what happens when I get to this point and the fuel tank's getting low? Where's the money going to come from? The Lord doesn't just go. He's already prepared the way. See, Israel's looking at it in the physical. They're seeing water in front of them, and they're seeing a massed army behind them, and they're petrified. God didn't let them go the course of the Philistines, which was shorter and easier because if they came face to face with war, it might be a problem and they would be terrified and run back to Egypt. In this case, the Lord is bringing war after them where they've got no way to escape. See, if they faced the Philistines face to face, they could have escaped back to Egypt. But this way, there's no way to escape. They've got the water in front of them, Egypt behind them. They've got nowhere else to go. And the Lord says, listen, shut up and go. I've already made it possible. Just go. Now imagine had Israel gotten to the Yamsuf and seen Egypt coming behind them and just wholeheartedly believed God was going to do something miraculous. Imagine if they just immediately walked into the water, what would have happened? 
I have no doubt that the waters would have parted right out the gate. Moses wouldn't have had to hold his staff up, nothing. I have no doubt the waters would have parted because God had already prepared it. God had already planned their path and their footsteps. And this brought to mind uh, something from the Bukhadashah in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 23, and it's repeated again in Luke. Matthew 8, 23, it says, uh, As he, Yeshua, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a great storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being covered by the waves, but Yeshua kept on sleeping. So they came and woke him up, saying, Master, save us. We're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became totally calm. The men were amazed, saying, What kind of person is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Brings to mind thoughts of Jonah, who when the the boat was getting tattered by the storm, Jonah still asleep down below deck. Not a worry or a care in his mind. Yeshua's asleep below deck. Not a worry or a care in his mind. The disciples are freaking out. They've walked with the Lord in ministry all the way up to this point, and they've seen the power of God operate through him, and they recognize that he said the same power is available to them. And instead of going, okay, what do we do now, and move forward in what the Lord had already planned, they became terrified, like Israel had, uh, with Egypt crashing down on their back and the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds in front of them. They became terrified, and they woke Yeshua up and said, Yeshua, what are you going to do about this? And Yeshua's response was, why are you so little in faith? How often does the Lord call us to do something? And our response is, but how is that going to work? And how often is God in the background going, why are you so little of faith? After all of the things you've seen me do, after all of the things I brought you through, after everything I've done for you, why are you so little of faith? Why are you so little of faith? The Lord has called us and placed us in this point in time in history because we have been given unique gifts and talents and empowered in those uh, gifts and talents by the Ruach HaKodesh to do what God is leading us to do, to follow His will, His call, and His ways. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. Yeshua already told us that the world is going to hate us because of Him. So a lot of times our response is, what's people going to think? He already told us what they're going to think. They hate us. Who cares what they think? It doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything if we change what we're going to do. Just do what the Lord says. He's already prepared the way. It is going to work out in victory. We look at Paul as Paul travels in his journey in the book of Acts, and we read about his journey. And everywhere he went, God had already prepared and planned the way. And he would go into the synagogues and minister, and he'd reach everybody he could there. And he'd go out to the streets and he'd minister, and he'd reach everybody he could there. And people kept trying to kill him over and over again, and God kept providing miraculous escapes. We look at Israel in the book of Joshua going into the promised land, and they cross the Jordan River, which, by the way, if you read the account, is an exact replica of the Yom Suf, the waters part, and they walk across on dry ground, and they come into the, the promised land, and they get to Jericho and the Lord says, listen, you don't even have to lift a finger. Just watch. Just watch. And they are commanded by God to walk around, you know, hard job walking around the city of Jericho a few times, right? Seven days, one lap. Uh, six days, one lap. The seventh day, seven laps around. It's a rough day. You got to actually exercise. You got you to go out and do something. But that's it. And the walls came tumbling down because of God's miraculous ways. What if Israel had stopped at the Jordan River, the second generation stopped at the Jordan River? How are we going to get across this? How are we going to make it to the other side? Okay, we got to do it. Well, how are we going to beat these? The first city we come to is this huge walled city. How are we going to defeat this? What is God going to do now? Why are we here? And the Lord says the same thing. He's constantly saying the same thing to us as he said to Israel at the Yom Suf. Just go. Why are you crying out? 
Why are you asking me to prepare a way in something I have already driven you to? I have already carried you in this direction. I have already called you to this, which means I have already put everything in play. I tell people all the time, if the Lord has called you to a Messianic Jewish lifestyle and honoring the Shabbat is something that the Lord is giving you, is calling you to do, and it's something he's placed on your heart, you know what? The Lord's not going to put that on your heart and they give you a job that forces you to work on Shabbat. It's not going to happen. The enemy will tempt you with a job that forces you to work on Shabbat. And you may be crying out for days on end and months on end and years on end for a job. And all of a sudden, this uh, seemingly on the outside perfect job comes across. The only catch is you got to work on Saturdays. I can guarantee that's not the Lord. Because the Lord will never cross what he's called us to do. The Lord doesn't contradict himself. But when we patiently walk in his ways, it's amazing how things fall in place. I've had bills paid that I have no clue where the money came from. You guys have heard me talk about it before. In Georgia, we had a power bill that was three times what it should have been, which means it was three times what our budget was. And when we were in Georgia, we had a very, very small salary. I mean, literally, our salary was planned out when we, when we, we sat down with the senior rabbi. Our salary was planned out specifically to the penny of the bills we had at that time. Our power bill came in one month three times what it should have been what it had been previous because our AC messed up, needed a, a, a Freon and the, the apartment complex wouldn't come and put a new AC in until we are out and they were starting getting ready for a new lease. And so they just kept bringing people out to, to recharge uh, the, the AC and our power bill just kept climbing over and over and over again. And we had this power bill that was over $400 and no means to pay it. And in this particular town, the city owned the power company. And so when your bill was due on the, the fifth of the month, if it's not paid by business close on the fifth of the month, after business close the fifth of the month, you got no power. They shut it off, no questions asked. You got one grace period of seven days a year. You got to ask when you could use it once a year. You wasted early, you got nothing left. And we came down to the day the bill was due and we had no way of paying it. No way of paying it. And we're just praying and praying. I mean, we've got an infant at home. We're praying and praying. What are we going to do? It's in the middle of the summer in South Georgia. And, uh, and Danielle calls up the power company to get a, a, an exact total of what was needed to pay it because we were going to have to call our parents or somebody to borrow some money to get it taken care of. She calls up the power company and, and gives them our account, our name and address and everything. And the, the lady goes, oh, well, you don't owe anything. She goes, what do you mean we don't owe anything? We have a bill due today that we, we, we were trying to get taken care of. She goes, no, no, it was paid this morning. And she goes, what do you mean it was paid? We didn't pay it this morning. What are you talking? We don't have the money to pay it. I'm calling you so we can find out how much we got to pay so we can get the money to pay it. She goes, listen, it's been paid. It was paid this morning by check. I don't know how or by who, but it was paid. And she goes, are you sure it's on the right account? And the lady goes, listen, stop. It's not a question you want to ask. It's paid. Just go with it. <laughs> and we went, Okay. And, uh, and we still to this day have no clue how it got paid because we hadn't talked to anybody about it. Nobody knew that we were having this issue at all. And there it was paid, and we still have no clue where it came from. We had a, a bill come in once that had to get paid, and we didn't have the money for it. Uh, this was still while we were in Georgia. And, and I kid you not, uh, about three days before it was due, I get a check in the mail from uh, uh, the insurance company, the health insurance company that 
Uh, we had uh, secondary insurance through the college within New York, because in New York they require if you're in school that the school provides, which means you pay for it in your tuition, but the school provides secondary insurance, health insurance, and uh, apparently this insurance company had been overcharging uh, students for, for, for quite some time. And so all of a sudden we get home from synagogue one day after praying for God to, to provide this money, we open up the mailbox and there's an exact uh, a check in the mailbox from that insurance company because the, the state of New York required them to reimburse the overage. Uh, and that check was, I kid you not, to the penny exactly what we needed to pay that bill. We have no clue why this all happened the way it did. But when we walk faithfully in God's ways, things play out the way they're supposed to. And when we begin to sidestep trying to avoid the issue is when we step outside of the will of God and we find ourselves in battle face-to-face -face with the Philistines when what the Lord wanted to do was bring us through safely to the other side of the Yamsuf and show us his might and glory through the victory he brings over the, the, the nation of Egypt behind us. We go to, to Matthew 14, verse 22. This is Peter walking on water. Right away, Yeshua made the disciples get into the boat uh, and go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he, sent, uh, he went up on the hillside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a long way from the land, tossed around by the waves, for the wind was against it. Again, here they are in the Kenneret, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and the waters are tossing, and, uh, and, and the wind is kicking up up and the, the waves were going on. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua came to them walking on the sea, physically, literally walking on the surface of the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out with fear. They had walked in ministry with the Lord and saw the wonders and miracles that he did. And when they saw God himself in flesh walking on water, they were terrified that it was a ghost. But immediately Yeshua spoke to them saying, take courage, I am. Take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. Answering Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, if it is really you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water to go to Yeshua. I want to stop here before we go to the next verse, because the next verse ruins it all. Yeshua says, come on, get out and come out here. Peter immediately in faith gets out and walks, doesn't question it. He's not worried about the sea in front of him or the army behind him. He knows God said, do something. He gets up and he walks, and it says he walks on the water. He's taking steps on the surface of the water. And then all of a sudden, he looked down, and he sees the water, and he sees the waves, and he sees the turmoil all around him, and his faith begins to quiver, and he sinks. But seeing the wind, he became terrified, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Master, save me. What business is there for the Master to save him when all he had to do was keep walking in faith? Yet anytime we humans get involved, we're going to mess it up. Verse 31, immediately Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him. And he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How often do we find ourselves in life and in in positions where it seems as though the world is crashing around our feet? Whether it's a job crisis, a school crisis, a family crisis, or whatever else it may be, we find ourselves in a position where it feels like the world is crashing around our feet, and we know without a doubt that the Lord set us on a path for a specific reason. You've got to understand, as believers, we have a path and a specific reason. 
And I'm not talking our individual call. I'm talking corporately. We are called as the body Messiah to go and make Talmudim of all nations. So it doesn't really matter what the crisis is going on around us. That's the enemy that's Egypt on our back trying to take us down. The presence of the Lord has already moved to guard us on the backside. And he's already set up a barrier so that the enemy can't get into us. And as long as we continue on in faithfulness on the plan and will of God, everything will work out. And we will be amazed at the miraculous way that the waters become firm under our feet or the ground dries up entirely under the sea so that we can walk faithfully and safety to the other side. And I realize how often we as believers today find ourselves with the same mentality of Israel, facing the, the detriment of the sea in front of us and the sheer terror of the army behind us. And we cry out to the Lord, why have you put us in this situation? As believers, especially in a messianic community, when our family, whether you're a Jewish believer or a non-Jewish believer, and our family begins to just come against us because we're messianic, because, oh, you're going under the law, or, or you're going into some cults, or this or that, or whatever else, because they just don't understand it. We've got to understand the Lord has placed his path in front of us, and that's just the armies of Egypt the efforts of the enemy crashing down on us, trying to kill, still, and destroy what the Lord is doing in and through us. And we have to be like Israel when Adonai says, just go. We have to go. We have to walk forth and trust that the waters are going to part. In closing, I want to encourage you as we leave this place today and we walk out into the world around us where, believe me, the world around us today is miserable. You and I have been called to be a light in this dark world, and this world is miserable, and it wants to snuff our light out day in and day out, every waking, breathing moment that we're alive. But the Lord is there for us, and he carries us, and he protects us, and he's already told us just to walk. Get up and go. Psalm 23. In closing, I want to pray this psalm over our community. In psalm 23, a psalm of David. Adonai is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil. For you, Adonai, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of Adonai forever. Notice he says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Because you have prepared a table before me in front of me, my enemies. Because you have prepared a place for me. Because I will be in your house forever. So it doesn't matter the kind of turmoil we find ourselves in. It doesn't matter the armies that are crashing down behind us. It doesn't matter the sea that is in front of us. The Lord has already prepared a way. And if we walk faithfully in what he has done for us, what he wants to do through us, we will notice that magically, and I use that term extremely literally, miraculously, the waters will harden beneath our feet. The waters will part in front of us. The ground will turn dry underneath. 
where once there was mud and water, we will find ourselves walking on dry ground through the miracles and the wonders of the provision of the God of gods, the King of kings, the one true and only God of all creation, who gave his only begotten Son that you and I may have eternal life in his midst. And that eternal life is what we are long-term shooting for, is to experience it forever. And the only way we will see that, experience it, and live in it is we walk faithfully, putting aside the fear and the doubt the enemy tries to put on us and recognize that even when we walk in the valley of the shadows of death, that he has prepared a place. So you and I are filled with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and the anointing of the blood of the Lamb. And just like Israel with the weaponry of Egypt, we have already been given every tool for spiritual warfare we need. And so we don't have to quiver in fear at what lays ahead of us or behind us because he has already given us everything we need to walk in faithfulness and what he is doing for us. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and caring God. We thank you that you do in fact prepare a path before our feet and that you have made that way easy to cross so long as we walk in faithfulness in your will and your ways. Father, I pray that you breathe upon us with fresh life, that your mayim chayim, your living waters, will flow through our veins, and that, Father, we will walk boldly in the calling you have given us to make tamudim disciples of all nations, no matter what the battles that lay ahead of us are, walking through the midst of the fire and the, uh, the, the swords clashing together and walking in the midst of the fire of the, the, the enemy around us, recognizing that we are shielded and guarded by the presence of the one who gave his son's only life for us to have eternal salvation in your midst. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.